Amen. Outstanding. I love the I love that song, and uh, the the title of that song is "Complete in Thee," which, through using logic, uh, we are complete in Him. But when we're not in Him, then we're incomplete. And so, if you're here today and you're not in Christ, uh, then you're incomplete. And uh, today's the day that uh, you need to be completed by coming to Christ and having a relationship with Him. Well, if you would at this time, take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter number 9. Making our way through the Gospel of Mark, we are in Mark chapter number 9. There are 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark, so we're past the halfway point. We're over the hill, so to speak, and uh, <clears throat> looking forward to getting into these latter chapter, later chapters because as we get closer to the end of it, we're going to get closer to the cross and then, praise the Lord, closer to the resurrection of Christ and uh, closer to the commission that God's given to us, uh, that uh, Jesus gave to his disciples and to all of us. Well, uh, Mark chapter number 9, and uh, once you find that, if you would uh, join me in standing for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter number 9, and we're going to read just verses 33 through verse 37, so a shorter passage. Uh, last week, we covered a lot of verses. Today, we're only covering, I think, it's uh, five verses, so a little uh, shorter passage today. Mark 9, verses 37 through or 33 through verse 37 says this, And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your holy word. We thank you for Mark's account of this uh, situation. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear and um, a willingness in our heart to not just hear, but to apply and to obey uh, the truth that you're trying to convey in this passage. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would um, focus our attention now on what you'd have for us. And, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. So Mark chapter number 9, at the beginning of chapter number 9, we saw how Peter, James, and John, three of Jesus' disciples, went up into the mountain where Jesus was literally transfigured before their very eyes. And his clothes uh, were, uh, the Bible says, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. I mean, his, his, clothes, his clothing changed and uh, his appearance changed, and he revealed his glory. Well, as they uh, walked down uh, from the mountain, they were uh, told that they should not tell anybody uh, what things they had seen until the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And if you recall, last Sunday, we saw how 
After the Mount of Transfiguration, there were, these disciples were completely confused. They were confused about several things. They were compu- confused about the resurrection of Christ, and they didn't understand what uh, Jesus meant when he said, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. We saw how they were uh, confused about the return of Elijah in verses 11 through uh, verse number 13. And then in verses 14 through uh, verse number 29, they were, re- they were confused about the resource of power after uh, this young man was brought to Jesus and uh, the disciples couldn't help him. The disciples couldn't fix the situation. And uh, Jesus was able to uh, call out and, and uh, um, cast out the unclean spirit from this young man. And, and then he said, this kind cometh, can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And we, we learned that in our own lives that when we're facing spiritual warfare in particular, that uh, the only way we're going to overcome that is through prayer. And many times we do need to include fasting in it as well. They were also um, confused about the reminder of Christ, as he said in verse number 31. If you, if you look there, he says, the son of man is delivered into the hands of men that they shall kill him. And after that, he is killed. He should rise the third day. So here in a nutshell, they received the gospel. And, uh, and as they make their way down through Galilee into Capernaum, they have a discussion. And uh, it, was a, it was more than just a discussion. It was a heated discussion. It was a debate that they were having. Now, they thought that Jesus wasn't in earshot of this discussion. But once they arrived in Capernaum, they made their way to a house in verse number 33. And he came to Capernaum and being in the house. And uh, begs the question, whose house was it? Well, we don't know for certain, but uh, many Bible scholars believe that it was probably Peter's home uh, that they went in and, and uh, kind of hung out in while they were in Capernaum. And, uh, but when it went in the home, they got, and they got settled. You know, everybody kind of gets in, and from their weary journey, they're kind of just sitting around and, and uh, just kind of getting settled. Jesus asks a very important question in verse number 33. He says, um, what were you guys talking about? What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? So on the way from uh, the Sea of Galilee or or through Galilee into Capernaum, what were you guys talking about? Because I imagine Jesus was maybe up front or maybe towards the back, and the disciples didn't think Jesus was hearing what they had to say, and maybe he didn't, maybe it was uh, physically impossible for Jesus to hear it, but being that he's God, he did hear it. He did know. And uh, just to be clear, when Jesus asks this question, he's uh, not asking because he doesn't know the answer. Uh, what was it that you disputed among yourselves, by the way? You see, Jesus knows all. He's not asking for information, but for transformation. It's like when God asked Adam in the garden, where art thou, Adam? It wasn't that God was, uh, Adam was lost from Adam, and he's like, oh no, I've lost Adam. Where is he? No, no, no. God knew exactly where he was. He was actually giving Adam an opportunity to come clean. And uh, such is the case here. Uh, These guys had the uh, uh, this conversation on the way from uh, Galilee into Capernaum. And uh, he was like, hey, let's talk about that conversation that uh, y'all had back there. So what were you guys talking about? 
And uh, let's look at verse 34. The first five words of this verse says, but they held their peace. <laughs> uh, see, what did the disciples do when Jesus asked the question? Did they go ahead and come clean right away? No, they didn't. They simply held their peace. Now, evidently, they were blabbermouths during their journey and were freely talking about uh, all these things that they were arguing about. But, uh, but now that Jesus is asking them this question, the, the cat got their tongue. All of a sudden, they didn't have anything left to say. And uh, with that in mind, I want to uh, work through our, uh, this sh short little passage this, this morning and consider what the Lord Jesus calls true greatness. True greatness. And uh, that's the title of the message this morning, True Greatness. First of all, this morning, let's notice their desi the desire to be chief. The desire to be chief. Uh, we find out in verse 34 what they were talking about. Um, it says, verse 34, But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Who should be chief? Who should be first in the kingdom of God? Now, the disciples didn't want to share what they were talking about because they knew if they did, they were going to get nailed. Well, they didn't have to bring it up. They didn't have to come clean. Jesus nailed them anyway. And, uh, you know, just to, goes to show that, look, the Lord knows what's going on in each of our lives, doesn't he? Whether we come to him, whether it's out in the open for others to see or not, God knows. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Uh, but here's what they were doing. They had argued about who should be the greatest in the kingdom. You see, they thought that Jesus would soon bring in the physical kingdom, and they began to daydream about it. And uh, probably what brought this on was the Mount of Transfiguration experience as Peter, James, and John uh, came down. They're like, well, we can't really talk about what we saw up there, but... We think the kingdom's coming soon. Uh, we think that, you know, he's going to rule and reign, and, and we're going to get to rule and reign with him. And, and, and uh, boy, I wonder who's going to get to be first. Who's going to get to be the greatest in that kingdom? I mean, I know he's the greatest, but, but who's going to be the second greatest? Who's going to get to sit next to him? Who's going to get to rule and reign and have everybody serve them? And so they began to daydream about that, and it led to speculation about who would be the greatest in the kingdom, the one with the most power the most uh, um, privileges in the kingdom. I can imagine, can't you, that Peter probably spoke up first, being that he was the spokesman of the group, probably said, okay, guys, uh, it's a done deal. It's me. I mean, I'm the guy, I'm the obvious choice, because whenever Jesus asks a question, no one ever speaks up except for me. I'm the only one willing to. So obviously, Jesus is going to give me that spot, and if you remember, not long ago when Jesus asked the question, I got the right answer and I got the gold star for the day when I said, thou art the Christ. Remember that? So obviously, I'm a shoe in for being the greatest in the kingdom. Well, James and John said, Peter, yeah, right. Okay, you're always messing up. You're always putting your foot in your mouth. You're always saying something that we're all kind of going like this. And, and uh, no way you're going to be the first in the kingdom. We are called the sons of thunder, and not only that, but we are the cousins of the Lord Jesus. And they were. They were the cousins of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and uh, well, we're the sons of thunder, and we're related to them, so obviously, 
Obviously, we're going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Well, Matthew pipes up and says, well, <clears throat> that's great, you guys. But uh, if, you, if we were to take like a test today, I guarantee I'm the smartest guy in the room. I know three languages. I know Greek, I know Hebrew, and I know Aramaic. And I am excellent with math because I was a tax collector. And they're like, we know you're a tax collector. Would you just be quiet? No way are you going to be uh, one of the first in the kingdom because no one likes you. So I'm sure he got shot down quickly. Well, after that, Judas pipes up and says, no way, guys, you're all wrong. I need to be the greatest. After all, I'm the only one of the 12 who holds an official position in the, among the disciples. I'm the treasurer. And I am most trusted uh, with the money, so obviously I get to be the greatest when the kingdom comes. So what was the issue at hand here? What was their problem? One word. It starts with letter P and rhymes with mride. <laughs> it's pride. Um, they desired to be chief. Now, Brother Chuck Sr. hit on this yesterday at the men's prayer breakfast and did a great job. And he spoke about pride and the need for humility in our lives. But, but pride, seeking to be first, seeking to be greatest, desiring to be chief. It goes back a long way. In fact, it goes back to the throne room of God when one of his created angels, Lucifer, desired to have that place. You see, Lucifer desired to be chief as well. If you turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter number 14, very quickly, I'd like to show you uh, where this is in the scriptures. Isaiah chapter number 14. And uh, pick it up here in uh, verse number 12. Isaiah 14 and verse number 12, where God says this, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. See, Lucifer desired to be chief. He wasn't content to let the Lord be uh, in charge. He wanted to have that place. Here's what God says in verse number 15 to Lucifer. He says, No can do, my friend. Yet, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Look, there's only one God. There's only one rightful person to sit on the throne, and that's not you, Lucifer. That's the Lord Almighty. So pride showed all the way up back there in the throne room of God, and, and Isaiah records what happened there. Pride also shows up again at the uh, Garden of Eden as the slimy serpent deceives Eve and appeals to her pride when he said, to this to her, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Well, you know what? It worked. She ate, and she gave it to her husband, and he did eat. Pride shows up in many other times in Scripture as men desired to be worshipped, like King Nebuchadnezzar did. 
Men who believe that they deserve some type of pleasure like David did. Men who failed to give God the glory like King Herod in Acts chapter number 12 and as a result uh, was eaten of worms and then gave up the ghost. And even Peter who proudly said he would never deny the Lord and we all know what happened there. Pride shows up. It shows up in politics all the time. Just yesterday I saw a headline and uh, I think we have a picture here that Vito Aruk, I don't know how to say his last name, uh, which is okay because I'm not going to vote for him, okay? <laughs> uh, but he calls Governor Abbott a thug uh, amid heated race for Texas governorship. And uh, so in politics, this happens all the time where there's name calling going on where, um, and, and by the way, this happens not, not just from one side of the aisle, from both sides of the aisle too. Right, where people are willing to step on each other, call each other names, attempts to ruin their reputation, all so that they can be chief, so they can have the power, so they can be the greatest. It shows up at work, too, where people endeavor to push themselves to the top, no matter who they have to step on, all so that they can be greatest. Well, good thing it never shows up in the church, right? I wish that was the case. Because sadly it does. Where people want to be noticed and manipulate things to get their way done in the church. There was a man in the first century church who was this way and his name was Diotrephes. He is found and mentioned in 3 John, a little book, two books before the book of Revelation. 3 John verse 9, and here's what John said. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Diotrephes, who wanted to have the preeminence. Now, who is supposed to have the preeminence in the church? Not any man, I'm telling you that right now. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who should have the preeminence in the church. Well, Diotrephes wanted to have that spot. And so he was throwing his weight around and trying to get his, what, what he wanted done. And, and uh, there was a spirit of pride in the church. And yes, it happens even now, not just in the first century either. I won't go into any illustrations of that, but it's happened in churches. It's every, very easy to be critical of other people's sins, though, isn't it? As we consider the disciples here and as they had this conversation on the way to Capernaum about who would be greatest, it's easy to kind of look down our nose at them and say, how could you? How could you have that type of discussion when you are so close to the one who is supposed to be the greatest? How could you have that conversation with Jesus uh, right, then, right there in front of you? And yet they were. But how many times does this not only show up in politics and at work and in other churches, not our own here, of course. How many times, though, does it actually show up in our own lives where we want to be noticed, where we want to be up front, where we want to get our way? We want to be first in line. We think we deserve some honor or recognition. We think we should be chief. May the Lord help us to desire to not be chief, but to heed what Jesus said in the following verse. 
Back in Mark 9 and verse number 35, Jesus here uh, gives them some instruction. And, and that leads me to, secondly, today, not only the desire to be chief, but we see the declaration of Christ. Verse number 35, he says this, or Mark says, and he sat down and called the twelve. Now, let's just stop there for a quick second because you might just read past that very quickly and say, and he sat down, no big deal, and called the twelve, no big deal. See, sitting down was a way in those days to deliver an important message. When Jesus sat down, it was basically saying, I have something super important to, to tell you. And so he, he, he's like, okay, I'm about to tell you something really important here. So he sits down, and everybody's like, oh boy. I don't know if I really want to hear what he has to say. It's kind of like we do this in our day and age. You know, somebody would walk in, somebody walks into my office, and I say, hey, have a seat. They're like, oh, man. I'll have a seat. What did I do? I'm sorry. I probably messed up. And, and that, that, that's not it here. Um, usually that's not it with me. I usually just want to have a little longer conversation than just standing there, and it's more comfortable to sit. Uh, but when Jesus sits, it was an important conversation. And he was addressing their desire to be chief and so he says in verse number 35, uh, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. So what was the important message that Christ wanted to deliver, to declare? He wanted to share that true greatness is about humility and about service. Oh, it's not about being served or first in line or the one with the most servants, it's about being a servant. And this was completely foreign to the disciples. It's the polar opposite of what the disciples thought. They thought the greatest was about sitting back on a throne, telling every what to, everyone what to do. I imagine in their mind, they thought, yeah, when we get to the kingdom, I want to sit on a throne, and I want to just sit back and chillax and uh, sit there and say, hey, you, I'm thirsty. Come here. Yeah, go ahead and come here for a second. <laughs> this is actually kind of fun. <laughs> I can see why they had this, this conversation. Hey, I, I'm really thirsty. Can, can you go get me some sweet tea? Pretend like you're going to get me some sweet tea. Okay. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Actually, you know what? On second thought, can you make it half sweet tea, half lemonade? Thank you. From Chick-fil-A, Chick please, yes. And I know they're not open today, but make it happen. Okay, okay come back. <laughs> you can be seated. And that's, that's, I'm sure, to a point, what the disciples had in mind about being the greatest in the kingdom. That, man, when we get there, we're going to have all these servants, and we get to tell them what to do, and it's going to be great. They're going to meet our every whim and every desire. And I could say, you know, hey, by the way, I'm hungry, too. Can you pick up a chicken sandwich? No pickle with Polynesian sauce. Um, and some fries with some ranch dressing. I'm getting hungry, aren't you? <laughs> that, was, that, was, that, was, that was dumb to bring that up right now. Um, but I did. Anyway, 
that's what perhaps their idea of greatness was, that getting to sit there and telling everybody what to do and having a bunch of servants. But Jesus said being first in his kingdom, being greatest is totally different. It's about insisting others are first and about serving. And, and by the way, and notice here he says, uh, shall be last of all and servant. So, so not just serving. Uh, notice he says to be servant of all. That means to be servants to everyone, not just the people that are just exactly like me. Being servants to those who can't necessarily serve me back. Jesus said this here in this passage, but if you fast forward a few years, when the uh, Apostle Paul uh, wrote while he was in prison to the church family in Philippi that he loved so much, and here's what he wrote to them in Philippians 2 and verse 3. He said, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. And then he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was willing to humble himself. If he was willing to humble himself, friend, you and I have no excuse for not humbling ourselves. If he was willing to become a servant... If anybody deserved to be served, it was the Lord Jesus, but that's not why he came. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I read about a third grade boy who had spent all night preparing for Valentine's Day by making everyone in his class a special Valentine's card. All night he labored over the project. One for Jenny, one for Mark, as he signed and sealed each one. It was really a beautiful act of kindness for anyone, let alone a third grade boy. Well, as he went to bed that night, the excitement of the following day caused him to toss and turn for a while. Finally, he settled his thoughts. It will be Valentine's Day soon, he thought to himself as he finally drifted off to sleep. The next day, he ran to his classroom and began placing the cards he had made into the other children's special envelopes. He happened to notice that his was empty, but paid no attention because he would check again after the first class was finished. Well, again he checked, and, and nothing. Lunchtime rolled around, and still no Valentine's cards. Not a single one was in the little boy's envelope. Maybe they just forgot, he said out loud to himself. And when his mother picked him up from school, he walked to the car with his head down, looking at his feet. She noticed his Valentine's envelope was empty. And he mumbled, not a single one, not a single one. When he got into the car, he again mumbled, not a single one. 
And then he raised his fingers one by one as if counting and said, not a single one. Then he looked at his mother and began to smile and said, I didn't forget a single one. You see, this little boy was more concerned about serving others than he was about being served himself. And this is what Jesus says is true greatness. We get so concerned about whether my needs are being met and whether uh, all of uh, my desires are, 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 are being met when that's not what greatness is. It's about making sure that I'm serving others and their needs are being met. Yes, I believe it would do us all well to hear the declaration of Christ that those who desire to be first shall be last and servant, but not just servant, servant of all, of all. So we see the declaration of Christ, but then thirdly, let's look at the display of a child. Verse number 36 He's not done with his lesson. Verse 36, and he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them. Sometimes I use a visual aid to teach and illustrate a truth. And uh, I want you to know I'm in good company. Because Jesus did that too. And, uh, and he did so here. Evidently, there was a child in that home that Jesus and the 12 were meeting in. And so he gets them. And, and uh, could I have a child come on up again? Uh, my servant, I mean, uh, my, my child. And he really is my child. And so he, Jesus is sitting there explaining this, and he says, hey, hey, you, you come here. And he sits him in the, sets him in the midst, so you're just going to stand here for a minute, okay? And he he. I'm sure the child was a little bit shorter than this guy is <laughs> and probably a little younger than a 15, almost 16-year-old. And uh, he gets this child and it says, set him in the midst of them and when he had taken him in his arms. Okay, so we're going to, just kidding, I'm not going to actually try to lift him up. I probably could, but um, I don't want to show off in front of all of you, you know, and uh, you all think I'm this big bodybuilder under this suit. No. I don't want to show off. So, uh, but it says, when he had taken him in his harm, arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Now, one commentator pointed out that children in the first century of Palestine had zero stature at all. In other words, they really were kind of the lowliest of the lowly of the ranks of people that existed in those days. And so when Jesus brought a child up here, he was basically saying, I'm going to try to find the lowliest person that I can and put him up here. And uh, thank you. You can be seated. And uh, so his embrace of this lowly child was identifying with the lowliest of them all. And look, if we're going to be great in the kingdom of God, we must be willing to serve the lowest of the low. Oh, it's easy to serve those who you think might serve you back. Hey, I'll scratch your back, knowing that hopefully one day you'll scratch mine. But that's not what Jesus says here. If you're going to be a true greatness in the kingdom of God, is being willing to serve those who can't do anything for you. 
where you don't get anything in return. And that takes real, a, serv a real servant's heart and real humility. To serve someone who has nothing to offer you takes a real servant and one that Jesus defines as true greatness. I've met several Christians in my life who have a I don't do windows mentality. Um, now, when it comes to computers, I have a I don't do windows mentality, <laughs> but that's uh, a techie joke that uh, that may not hit everybody. Um, but I still put it in my notes. <laughs> anyway, um, seriously, though, are there things that you just think that is beneath me? I'm not willing to do that. Look, a servant is, uh, if you're going to be great in God's eyes, if you're going to have true greatness, you're going to have to be last of all and servant of all. Are there things that you're saying, you know what, I just won't do that? Remember what the song says, my favorite hymn of all time, when I survey the wondrous cross, the last little stanza says this, love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. In other words, there, there shouldn't be anything in my life that I'm not willing to do for the Lord because he was willing to go through the cross for you and for me. As we consider children, children are, he did pick a child to display and use as an illustration for this. And there have been those in the past who have taken this and have literally given their lives to serve children. One such man comes to mind. His name is George Mueller. He was an amazing example of someone who loved to serve orphans, who could offer him nothing except for headaches and stress, I'm sure. And over the course of his lifetime in ministry, he served literally thousands of children. He had multiple homes that he would care for and feed and preach the gospel to, all these orphans and children. And he made an incredible impact on the city of Bristol in the 1800s, so much so that the entire city of Bristol, when it was his funeral, stopped and closed shop, and everyone in the city attended his funeral because of the impact that he had made in that town. And many of them who grew up under his influence were there as shopkeepers and employees and, and mothers and fathers in that town. And they had been blessed because of George Mueller. Now, I don't know for sure, but I believe that Brother Mueller might be one of the greatest in the coming kingdom. Because he was willing to be last and to humbly serve those who were lowly of the lowly, the forgotten ones, the orphans. Okay, well, that was back in the 1800s. What about today? Are there those who still serve the lovely ones? I'm happy to report to you that yes, there are. One of our, one that our church knows, a lady by the name of Becky Patterson. And we have a picture of her and her late husband who just passed away um, just a couple months ago. 
about three months ago, actually. And I just get this uh, letter from them. And I'd like to take a moment and read this because this shows you her heart. And this is the heart that Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples here. That, look, the greatest, you really want to be the greatest? Here's someone who embodies the greatest. And I know she would not want me to say this, but as I read, I read this letter, um, I was thinking, you know what? This goes right along with what we're talking about here. She writes this letter, Dear Precious Friends, thank you for your prayers for me since December 10th. And that's the day that her husband went to glory. She said, I've felt the power of your prayers. Perhaps you were as, as surprised as I was about the homegoing of my beloved husband. We all thought he was well on the road to recovery. Little did we know that he had an appointment in heaven that could not be postponed. Even with a broken heart, I can say without a doubt, God makes no mistake. She said, questions I've asked God recently are, what do I do now? Because you see, they had a tremendous ministry to children there in Mexico as they were there to provide for their physical needs, but most of all to encourage them regarding their spiritual needs for salvation and, and encouraging them to follow God with their life and to serve the Lord. So she said, uh, what do I do now? How do I proceed from here? Through all my husband's illnesses, I have felt his guiding hand and I will know he will continue to guide me. She said, when I was 13, as my father, Dr. Ralph, Dr. Ralph McCoy, drove through heavy traffic in Mexico City, I saw a young girl lying motionless on a sidewalk with people rushing past her. The next morning, my father found me praying and crying. When I told him what I had seen, he hugged me, and we agreed to pray and ask God to show us how we could help children like her know the Savior. Well, twice after the Beseda Children's Home was started in 1969, my father asked me if I remembered our covenant of prayer. I told him I did. After the death of my father, having served in um, these three different towns and speaking in Faith Promise Missions Conferences, God allowed my precious Mike, that's her husband who just passed about three weeks ago or three months ago, uh, God allowed my precious Mike and me to have 25 years ministering in the Beseda children's home together. My desire now is to spend as much time as possible in Tilapia with, in, in Tilapa with these children. So now that her husband's gone, this is an opportunity for her to kind of fold up shop and, and retire and go hang out with her kids and grandkids. She says, my desire now is to spend as much time as possible with the children. I want the joy of leading them to Christ. I want to sit in the courtyard with the girls and tell them how much God loves them, how he has a marvelous plan for their lives. If not for the opportunity of being in the home, they might have been sold by their families to buy food. Often these girls are considered of no more value than their parents' cow or pig. I want to share Bible stories of the great heroes of the faith with the boys. I want to encourage them to make right decisions, decisions that will please God, whether they are popular or not with their peers. She said, please pray with me as I seek this endeavor. I may be alone, but I am never truly alone. God is with me. So here's a lady who says, I want to keep being last of all not really focused on what I want, and I want to be a servant 
of all. I think they're going to be getting to sit in those greater spots than I will in heaven. I'm, I'm just obviously going to be glad to be there. Um, but uh, I think we're going to be surprised at who the greatest in the kingdom really are. And not some great, powerful, charismatic individual, but some who are just humble and willing to be servants, willing to not be in the limelight, who say, I don't want to be preeminent. I want Jesus to be preeminent. I want to, him to increase and me to decrease. So Jesus uses a child to illustrate that. And look, while many in life are seeking for greatness, Jesus says for all of us to strive to be last and to be servant of all. And so I think today, what's the takeaway from this message? I think we need to humble ourselves. Stop seeking our own desires. And then strive to be a servant and a servant to all. To those who you agree with and like to serve and those who you may not like to serve. To be a servant of all. Now I've spoken primarily to Christians today, but this morning if you're not saved, what are you waiting for? Look, Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and rose again the third day to provide you forgiveness of sin and eternal life in heaven. You don't have to work for this gift. In fact, you can't work for this gift. It is a free gift. It's already been paid for. Jesus paid it all on the cross. You simply need to receive it by repenting of your sin and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you do that today? Would you receive Christ as your Savior? The Bible says in John 1 and verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Would you choose to believe on Christ today? And then for those of us who have believed on Christ, let's not desire to be chief, but instead to desire to be last of all and to be servant of all. That's what we should be desiring. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for this little passage of scripture, Lord, that instructs us on what true greatness really is. Lord, help us to not be concerned about our own desires and, and whims being met. But Lord, help us to desire to serve others, to be a blessing to others. And Lord, obviously the greatest way we can serve others is by pointing them to you. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us this week to serve others by giving them the gospel. By giving that little Easter flyer that was in our bulletin out. By talking to our coworker, our neighbor, friend, relative. Help us, Lord, to serve those in that way and then in all the other ways as well. And I pray, Lord, that you would use us this week, not so that we could be the greatest, but so that we can be pleasing to you. Lord, I do want to pray for Mrs. Patterson today, that you would enable her to fulfill her desire to stay and to continue serving those precious children that you love and died for. And I pray, Lord, that you would help our church to continue supporting her and her endeavors in that way. 
and for other churches to get behind her as well. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd raise up others in our church, Lord, who are willing to do similar things, to serve those who can't do anything for us, but to serve them out of a heart of love and compassion. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask Ms. Pat to uh, begin playing, and as she does, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer and decision. And there in your seat is the Lord perhaps has spoken to you today about this or maybe something completely different. This is a time where you can make decision for the Lord. As she plays, I'll be quiet.